Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, it's Manveen. Today's episode is the first of a two-part series by one of our producers, Asif Fuchs. It looks at the story of a young man who died after being restrained by police in South Wales last year, and his family, who are still waiting for answers. Before we begin, a warning. The following program contains some content that listeners might find distressing. Bro! Last July, I was in Newport in South Wales, I was at Christchurch Cemetery on the northern edge of the city with my friend Mohaned. His younger brother Mohammed had driven us there. Five months earlier, his other brother, Moyed, died after being restrained by police in his bedroom. Where Moyed is laid on the Muslim side of the cemetery. There's two entries there actually. And you've got the Christian side, and then this side is the uh, Muslim side. The circumstances surrounding Moyed's death are the subject of a coroner's inquest. But right now, I'm standing with Mohaned, or Mo as I know him, by his brother's grave. There's a motorway running alongside the cemetery, a constant flow of cars rushing past. Moyed's grave is covered in flowers. There's a mini picket fence around it and large block letters spell out brother and son. It's mad to think that I'm here looking at my brother and he's six feet under. Assalamu alaikum, ya Moyed. Every time we come here, we speak to him in Arabic. We speak to Moyed, we pray for him. I don't practice Islam as much, but since the death of my brother, I've been doing bits and pieces here. I feel that I can connect to Muayyad's soul. The first thing that we do, we just come in and we always say, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawm al-Deen, Iyakan Abudu, Iyakan So that's the opening prayer, um, and it's the first... Um, chapter or the first surah as I say in the Quran, in the whole of Quran. Last February, early one morning, Moyed was at home where he lived with his parents and his other brother, Mohammed, the one who had driven us to the cemetery. We'll get into the details later, but Moyed had been stabbed a month earlier and his mental health had taken a turn for the worse since the attack. 
The night before, he was in pain and couldn't sleep. He was concerned his wound wasn't healing properly. He was growing increasingly anxious and disturbed, and he barricaded himself in his bedroom. The family called 999. They asked for an ambulance. But instead of an ambulance, a number of police vehicles showed up. Officers entered the house, and Moyed was restrained in his bedroom. Soon after, he died. Moyed Bashir was only 29 years old. Gwen Police has referred itself to the police watchdog after a man died following an emergency call in Newport. More than 100 protesters gathered in Newport earlier following the death of a man shortly after police attended his home. Moyed was called Mr. Make It Happen by his friends. He made amazing chicken. He also had more than his share of struggles. His family had come to the UK from Sudan 21 years ago to escape a civil war. As Moyed grew up in Newport, he'd had some run-ins with the police. But his final encounter with them left him dead. In the last few years, we've heard a lot about the disproportionate use of force by the police against the Black community in the U.S. But what about here, in the U.K.? Just a few weeks before Moyed's death, another Black man in Wales died following contact with police. And in England last year, a police officer was convicted of the manslaughter of the Black ex-footballer Dalian Atkinson. According to the charity inquest, since 1990, there have been 1,800 deaths following police custody or contact in England and Wales. Of those 1,800 people, 150, or 8%, were either Black or from a mixed ethnic background. This is disproportionately high, given that Black people make up 3% of the overall population. Over the course of two episodes, I'm going to try my best to find out what happened to Moyed and why. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Asya Fuchs. Today, A Lost Brother, Part 1, A Death in South Wales. So just to start, would you mind just introducing yourself? My name is Mohamed Bashir. I'm 32. Currently, well, I moved from London back to Newport to be with the family. I knew Mo, Moyed's older brother, from a boxing club in East London, where we used to train together. This has been one of the toughest stories I've ever worked on. The person at the heart of it was my friend's brother. As a journalist, I have to ask tough questions. It's my job. But I'm also dealing with a grieving family and a friend. It's a tricky tightrope to walk at times. Last July, Mo and I were talking after what had been an intense morning. He and his parents had been to the coroner's court in a leafy neighborhood in central Newport for the official opening of the inquest into his brother's death. I was also there, and so were a handful of other journalists. It was a purely administrative affair, the coroner formally opened the inquest, which is an investigation into death, which appears to be due to unknown, violent, or unnatural causes. To be clear, unlike in a criminal trial, no one is accused of wrongdoing. An inquest just establishes the circumstances of a death. 
The coroner said the evidence would be heard the following summer in front of a jury, but it has been pushed back, and currently there is no date set. These investigations can sometimes take years, so Mo and his family have no idea when they'll hear the findings. But that afternoon, following the opening of the inquest, I caught up with Mo in a cramped hotel room near Newport train station. The rest of his family had gone home, exhausted, but Mo was ready to tell me about his brother. So Moyed, he was a, the cutest baby out of all of us. This picture's out there of him, you know, when he was in a, in a blue tub and he's just smiling. He got the biggest cheeks and straight hair, big ears, very cheeky. Do you have um, sort of maybe from when you were kids or maybe from when you were older, like any kind of memory that sticks out in your mind or a moment that you're like, yeah, that's that's Moyed. Oh, man. He always used to mix up and make up lyrics and he used to mix it up with Arabic words. That kind of just literally just makes us laugh because it was just like, mate, that's not the right lyrics. <laughs> like, yeah, but it sounds like this in Arabic and we just laugh about it, you know, like 50 Cent, I think. Or was it Go Charlie, it's your birthday? You know that tune? Go, 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 go Charlie. It's your birthday. We're going to party like it's your birthday. <laughs> so instead of it's your birthday, he used to say in Arabic, Hajj Murphy, which means, you know, Hajj as in Hajj, Hajji. Like a pilgrimage? Yeah. So when you call someone who completed the pilgrimage, oh, as an elder, you call him Hajj something, right? Mm. Yeah. And he just say Murphy because it's birthday, Murphy, <laughs> just to play around with words. And we're like, what are you all about? That kind of stuff, you know, it's just silly little moments. The Bashir family had three sons. My friend Mo is the oldest. And then the youngest, Muhammad. And then there was Moyed, the middle brother. Moyed Mamoun Bashir was born on August 7th, 1991, the same year as me, in Karachi, Pakistan. The Bashirs were originally from Sudan, and the parents, Mamoun and Mahasan, met in university in Libya. They used to leave each other notes at the library and married soon after graduation. The father, Mamoun, worked in the aviation industry. He was cabin crew for Saudi Arabian Airlines, and his work took him around the world. The boys grew up hopping around the Middle East, Pakistan, back to Sudan for a couple of years, holidays in Saudi Arabia, Syria, Libya. In 2001, when Moyed was nine and Mo was 13, the family moved to London. They'd spent the last few years in Sudan, but left because of the civil war. The family settled in Newport four years later. The Bashirs are religious. One of the first things Moyed's dad did when they got to Wales was find out where the Sunni mosque was. Moyed was a teenager when they moved. He was very popular in the Newport community. He's a really good cook. He used to host barbecues at the park. He was known for his chicken, barbecue chicken. Mm. It was so good. The way he used to marinate, it was just amazing. Very generous, very kind. He's the type of person who would give you the last penny in his pocket because you need it. And nothing would stop stop him. He's, he was known as Mr. Make It Happen. What did he want to make happen? What were his kind of goals and um, dreams? To open his own restaurant, you know, with with my younger brother, Mohammed. 
because them two, they were great together in the kitchen. To have a big family home, to, you know, have a nice car. He was flashy. He had, you know, great set of um, clothes and all that stuff. Yeah, just to have uh, a blissful life, really. To show me more about his brother and the city he loved, Mo took me to Bellevue Park. It's on a hill overlooking Newport, and it was green and lush and full of flowers in the middle of July. So right now what I'm seeing over there, you've got the docks, which is quite known. All the industrial sites over there. You've got the River Osk down there as well, so it runs through it. Then you've got the transporter bridge down that way. That's where Newport is a city of some 150,000 people. It sits at the mouth of the River Usk, and it once had the UK's largest coal exporting port. It's still an industrial area, but these days there are a lot of boarded up shop fronts in the city centre. Mo told me not too long ago it had a thriving music scene. He rattled off clubs that just a few years earlier had been open La Bamba. That's the place that I used to work at. Fire and Ice. The legendary TJs. There was a tree in the middle of that venue. Where rumor has it, Nirvana's Kurt Cobain proposed to Courtney Love. Courtney Love. That was Mo's scene. He's a rock and metalhead. Moyed was more into hip-hop. But when they were younger, all three brothers would play basketball here at Bellevue Park. (laughs) Shoot some hoops, as they say. Um, But Moyed was short. (laughs) Mo and I walked across the park, down its tree-lined paths, past gazebos and wildflowers, we got to the spot where the Bashirs had held Moyed's wake. It was a beautiful day. It was a nice and sunny day, like today. Myself, my parents and my little brother, we came here and there was a literally sea of people right at this spot here, under that dome and outside of it. You know, we just walked in and they were all cheering and celebrating and calling Moyed's name. And then my mum's friends, the I think the Yemenis or Pakistanis, I can't remember, but within the Muslim community, they came together, parked their cars at the car park and opened the boot and they had literally takeaways of like rice and chicken and food just going around for free, you know. People just having a good time. It was a good gathering. Newport was home to Moyed. But in the last few years of his life, he actually faced the prospect of being deported to Sudan, a country where he had only spent a few years as a kid. Unlike the rest of his family, who'd become naturalized citizens some years earlier, Moya didn't have British citizenship. I've seen documents from his immigration tribunal appeal, and the Home Office cited past criminality as a potential reason to deport him. He had some prior convictions, some of which were quite serious. In 2016, he served time in prison, for the production, supply, and possession of a Class A drug, possessing criminal property, and the possession of a prohibited weapon, which was a type of pepper spray. After his release from prison in July 2017, Moyet had no further criminal convictions. I talked to Mo one afternoon on the phone about this. But if I put myself in Moyet's shoes, The situation that, let's say, he put himself in with, let's say, the police and being on their, you know, radar all the time. And then you've got the paperwork, the immigration situation with the Home Office. That's another battle, you know, where basically out there on the street or just in in Newport, he's always need to keep his eyes open and look over his shoulder because the police might just go and grab him for any reason. And he's always going to keep a lookout whether they're going to deport him or not. So he's stuck between, you know, 
rock and a hard place, really. It's a savage circle, to be, to be honest with you. On January 17th last year, at the height of the third lockdown, exactly one month before he died, Moyed was the victim of a serious stabbing. At the time, he wasn't working and he was living at home with his parents and Mohammed, his younger brother. His mom says that he'd gone out that evening to pick up a pizza when he was attacked. Moyed was taken to Royal Gwent Hospital in Newport, where he was stabilized, but his condition deteriorated. That evening, after 10 p.m., he was transferred to University Hospital of Wales in Cardiff. We don't know the full details of the attack, because no police report was filed. However, Gwent police say that all suspected knife wounds are reported to them by the NHS, and that the incident was thoroughly investigated. Based on the evidence available, they were unable to reach a clear outcome. No suspects were ever identified. What is clear, though, is that Moyad had a major stab wound, which hit an artery in his left thigh. He lost half of his blood because of that injury. So he was very lucky to be alive. How did he change after the stabbing? When he was recovering, he told that that he saw the light at the end of the tunnel, basically. And that shook him up. Muyed's faith just peaked from that point. His faith got stronger and bigger about, you know, Islam and and all that kind of stuff. But then my mum told me this. She said, your brother's personality changed since he was released from the hospital because he was seeing things that weren't there anymore. That, That doesn't exist, really. He was talking to himself a lot. So psychologically, he was not right. He definitely suffered from PTSD because there was a, an incident, well, a moment when Muir was in his bedroom and he was looking outside the window and it was, I think it was in the evening or at night time. And my mom just wanted to check in on him. And she said, you okay? What's going on? What are you looking at? And Muir said, look, mom, they're up there. They're after me again. And she said, well, who? who's after you? It's like, they're trying to get me this time. And my dad walked in because he was like, what's going on? And he told my dad, I said, look, it was, he basically was, his window is pointing, it's located at the back of the house where we have a garage and a garden. And when he had pointed at the garage, said they're right on top of the garage, that they're over there, they're looking at me. So my dad had to walk outside the house, go back to the garden, go to the garage and said, there's no one here. See, everything is okay. The family was really worried about Moyed. At the time, Mo was living in London, and on February 17th last year, his other brother got in touch. I got a message from my youngest brother, Mohammed, saying, Moyed passed. The first thing I said, what, question mark, call me. So he called me. He was upset. He was angry. He was speaking way too fast on the phone. I couldn't make any sense out of what he said. So I said to him, calm down. Can you just tell me exactly what happened? What's going on? And he said, yeah, Muyad died. Muyad passed away. He said the police got involved. Mo rushed to Paddington Station and got straight on a train to Newport. The first thing I've done, I just walked in, hugged my mum. She was crying and I was crying, hugged my dad and my little brother. I asked my parents exactly what happened to give me a bit of a breakdown. Basically, because of Moyed's injury, his stabbing injury, he was restless the night before. He was in agony. He was in pain. He couldn't sleep properly. The walls in the Bashir home are paper thin. The Bashir parents, Mamoon and Mahasan, had been up since 4 or 5 a.m. for early morning prayers. 
Muir was getting really worried. He started to freak out. He had a, you know, a mental health episode right there and then he started to just, he, he just lost it then. It was too much. Mamoon and Mahasan say they heard Moyed fidgeting around as he got increasingly agitated. He started barricading himself in his room. Mamoon tried to get through to a GP, but couldn't reach one. So at 8.52 a.m., he called 999 and asked for an ambulance. The family waited. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Knock, knock at the door. My dad opened the door, and there were police officers instead of paramedics. I've asked Gwent police why officers showed up when the family had asked for an ambulance, but they didn't answer this specific point. They just walked in. They asked if Muyid was violent. My dad said no, but he's freaking out about you know his injury and his is having a, a mental episode. Is he violent? No, he's not. And just before that, Muyid had a shower, walked out of the bathroom, went to his bedroom getting ready, expecting the paramedics to turn up in green uniform, but instead police officers in black and blue uniforms turned up. He just wasn't expecting that. Police entered Moyed's bedroom, a small, tight space. My parents were like, what's going on, what's going on? What are you doing to my son? And they're trying to basically see what's happening and assess the situation in the room. They say police told them not to come into the bedroom, Though Moyed was not arrested, he was initially handcuffed and put into leg restraints. They were told to stay out of it because they know what they're doing. Don't interfere with police business. The parents were terrified. They couldn't hear Moyed anymore. So my mom fainted because she's got a heart condition. She got low blood pressure. She couldn't handle the situation. According to the Bashir parents, after it got quiet in Moyed's room, There was all of a sudden a lot of movement in the house, police going in and out of the house, in and out of Moyed's room. And at one point, Moyed's father was able to look into the bedroom. My dad had one more look at my brother, and he knew that he was gone already. Eventually, two ambulances did show up. Moyed's parents say they don't remember the exact time they arrived, but they say it took over an hour. By the time the ambulances did get there, a number of police vehicles and nine police officers had already responded to the incident. Moyed was taken away in an ambulance to Grange Hospital across town, where he was pronounced dead at 11.40 a.m. Two hours and 48 minutes elapsed since that first 999 call. For me, there are two questions that need to be answered. Why did police arrive when the Bashir family called for an ambulance? And what exactly happened in Moyed's room? These are all matters for the inquest to establish. I asked the Welsh Ambulance Service what time the ambulances arrived and why police were first to get to the house instead. They said they were unable to respond to those specific points because there are currently internal investigations ahead of the coroner's inquest. Although Gwent police wouldn't comment on why officers were sent to the Bashir house, they outlined situations in which police officers would be deployed alongside or instead of an ambulance crew. Their response is read here by a producer. When the initial call for service is received, an assessment of risk is made, and, where required, officers may be asked to support ambulance colleagues. This happens where there is either a risk of harm to the individual requiring assistance from their own actions or those of others present, 
or to the ambulance crew from either the individual requiring assistance or other people present at the time. During the pandemic, Welsh Ambulance Service NHS Trust has faced a huge amount of increased demand for its services, as has been extensively reported in the media. Officers who are trained first responders have been asked to attend to provide immediate assistance until an ambulance crew can attend on occasions when an ambulance may not be available for a lower priority call. Hi, I'm John Witherow, editor of The Times. Thanks to you, we get to cover the broadest and most important daily news stories. To enjoy more remarkable stories every day, subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times and get one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name's Simon Kempton and I'm a serving police officer and currently I'm on the National Board of the Police Federation of England and Wales. I called Simon Kempton from the Police Federation, which represents rank and file officers, to talk me through police protocol. He couldn't talk about Moyed's case, but I asked him to tell me what happens when someone calls 999 and asks for an ambulance. When you dial 999, the first person you'd speak to would be uh, somebody who works for British Telecom, their sort of emergency operator. And one of their call takers will undertake uh, an assessment, a triage, try and understand how urgent the requirement is, what level of medical emergency it is, and then they'll uh, attend, they'll assign one of their paramedic um, units to attend in whichever priority they, they determine. When does this become a police matter? What are the circumstances under which the caller asks for an ambulance, but police are sent to the scene instead of or alongside one? I mean, occasionally we'll be sent instead of, and that's normally where paramedics don't have the resources. And sometimes if someone calls in with a a medical emergency, they ask the police to attend just to hold the fort. It's not unusual for us to attend alongside paramedics. And that would be done on a risk assessment basis. So the ambulance service and the police service would undertake their own separate risk assessments. The ambulance service risk assessment would be based on how likely their staff are to face a threat or or violence when they attend. Our risk assessment reflects our core role, which is to preserve life, but also to prevent crime. So we look at whether we've had any issues at that address previously, for example, And our risk assessment would be heavily influenced on what we're told by the ambulance service. And I'm sure part of that would be deciding how many officers or vehicles to send, like what goes into that decision. In the situation with Moyad Bashir, you have a large number of officers, in his case it was nine, who who were sent to the scene way before an ambulance arrived. So why, why might that happen? Typically it would be, again, it'd be informed by the type of threat. So if we're told that 
there's a potential threat. Somebody might become violent. Somebody might become distressed. That's the sort of risk assessment where we're only going to send one or two officers, perhaps. Where we're told somebody is already posing that sort of threat to the public, to themselves, to paramedics, that would increase the level of officers we would normally send. And then typically as well, if it just so happens that other officers in that area aren't currently committed, they would tend to drift towards that direction anyway, just in case things do deteriorate. Moyad Bashir did have a criminal record. Mm-hmm. One of those convictions was for possession of a firearm, Pava Spray in his case. Could could that have played a part in the decision about who to send? Somebody having a criminal record on its own doesn't play very much part at all, unless that criminal record is for you know, assaulting paramedics. Intelligence markers do play a part. What are those? So that's where either the police or the ambulance service might have a, a marker against an individual or an address. So, for example, if lots of organisations do it, you know, couriers do it, if every time we go to an address we're faced with violence, we would place a marker against an address to say, you need to be careful when you go here. And for that reason, it would be unusual for us to send just one lone officer. So that's the sort of thing that a marker gives us. Is it protocol to tell the caller, the 999 caller, which emergency service is being sent, if it's not the one that was requested in, in their call? Not necessarily. If I had a medical emergency and I phoned for an ambulance, the ambulance service is still going to resource that, even if they think they need the police to assist. And they wouldn't necessarily say, by the way, we're going to send some police or we're going to ask the police to attend as well. On the morning of February 26th last year, before Moyed's funeral, Mo, his little brother Mohammed, and their father went to the morgue in Cardiff to wash Moyed's body in accordance with Muslim tradition. Then I went to the morgue for the first time ever in my life. That's where Moya's body was held at. I was trying to be strong. I was trying to be the older brother who was going to hold it together. Went there, pulled him out of the uh, the fridge, and he was in a white body bag, unzipped the white body bag, and there he was, just sleep, cold and stiff. I was right at the back. I didn't have the guts at the time to go and look at my brother. I was stomping left and right. I was trying to hold it together. <clears throat> so then my little brother looked at me saying, what's wrong with you? Go and say hi to Muayyad. Um, I went over, hugged him and kissed him. I just still can't believe it. My dad was just praying. My little brother was chatting to me like normal. And I'm just there pulling my eyes out. Then we just had to get the job done. So what I mean by that is prepare the body for the funeral. The way I looked at it, it was like, this is going to be the last time I'm going to help my, 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 my younger brother to get him ready for something, you know? Um... He had long, beautiful hair. An initial post-mortem carried out last February did not establish Moyad's cause of death. This will be determined at the inquest. How are they? How is your family? 
right now they're a bit better than how it was before straight away after after what happened the environment and the vibes of the household was so rough you can feel the anger the frustration the mourning the sadness whatever we do like we used to go out we used to go you know have people over just try to change the mood but you can tell deep down it's not right even between us the family dynamic at the time was a little bit rough we were just kind of just taking out on each other which was not right that's when shoulda coulda woulda comes out then i think we came to the part of accepting what happened and that's when i think all the family members their faith start get a little bit stronger like muid used to say it is what it is we just started to get used to it get used to the fact that muid is not there anymore like for example my mum it was difficult for her to pass muid's bedroom every morning because she used to check in on muid every morning and say how are you son you're okay today but when she used to pop her head in and see what's happening in the room she just took a moment and realized that muid is not there anymore and then she remembers what happened After Moya died, Mo moved back home to Wales to be closer to the rest of his family. So I'm staying in Moya's bedroom where it all happened. I had to rearrange everything a little bit, but everything's still there, you know, all his clothes, all his gadgets. What I'm wearing right now is not my clothes. It's actually Moya's clothes. Down to the trainers. And the reason why I wear his clothes is because I miss him so much. I just It sounds really weird. I have my own clothes. I have my style of clothing, but you know, when I'm I'm in his bedroom, it's not my bedroom. It's Moya's bedroom. I'm just there for now. So every morning it's literally like a reenactment every day, every morning. I wake up and I was like, "Moya woke up around this time, maybe a little bit earlier because he couldn't sleep the night before." So I'm taking steps going to the shower and I'm thinking Moya probably just had his last shower then I look at the mirror in 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 the bathroom maybe Moya had his last look at himself in the bathroom then you know in the mirror and then I go back into the bedroom for me to get ready for work but for him he was getting ready to you know meet the paramedics he probably had the last look outside the window because I always look outside the window see what the weather's like and so on you know but then I sit down at my desk and I look at the social media accounts for the campaign I'm like right this is why I'm here I've got a mission ahead of me I've got things to do I need to get some answers The death of Moyed Bashir is being investigated by the Independent Office for Police Conduct, the body that oversees the police complaint system in England and Wales. So far, they say they have not found evidence that any police officer may have committed any criminal offense or behaved in a manner that would justify disciplinary proceedings. Of the nine officers who came to the Bashir house that day, none have been handed misconduct notices. The results of the IOPC investigation will serve as evidence at the inquest. Gwent police say, "Our officers who attended on the day are distraught by the tragic death of Mr. Bashir. Their focus was wholly on delivering the best care possible for Mr. Bashir until an ambulance arrived." I've tried to understand in this episode why the police came to the Bashir house that day. 
But the bigger question is, however that decision was made, why did Moyet end up dead? It's up to the police always to justify that use of force. In Moyed's case, we don't know what the police officers are saying in terms of their decision-making and powers to lay hands on Moyed. He said, I'm not part of the Gwent police. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. It was literally a stare down. That's in part two, tomorrow. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Today's episode was produced and reported by me, Asya Fuchs, with editorial support from Brenna Daldorf. The executive producer is Will Rowe, and sound design was by Tom Birchall. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.